You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey everybody, I still exist, I'm back, had a few uh, little health hiccups recently, uh, won't give you all the details, but yeah, part of the last couple of weeks it's been hard to do a lot of talking, so I kind of get my talking in when I could and had to rest, but uh, this is the Ruler of the Court podcast, this is Jason Jones of The Athletic, your former longtime Sacramento Kings beat writer, uh, currently looking at all the NBA uh culture everything else that kind of goes into it so that being said let's go ahead and jump into this uh edition and i'm going to do a, a trip down memory lane so to speak uh at, at the time of this recording uh, it was uh you know my buddy at the athletic shams reported that george carl a uh, former king's coach is going to be entering the uh Nay Smith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. That's right. Uh, for uh, second year in a row, a former Kings coach is going into the Hall of Fame. So what I wanted to do was uh, now I don't know if, it, if I should say in honor of or what, but I want to recall, look back at George Carl's brief time uh, <laughs> as a coach in Sacramento. And kind of just, you know, what that meant. Uh, kind of just what went wrong during that time in Sacramento. It was a... Uh, obviously, there were no playoffs. Because, well, the Kings haven't made the playoffs. You know, whatever. I shouldn't say ever. You know what I mean. It's been a minute. So, just wanted to kind of uh, talk, talk about and look at how in the world a Hall of Fame coach couldn't also resurrect the Sacramento Kings. Uh, George coached 112 games in Sacramento, went 44 and 68, winning percentage of uh, 39.3 or 39.3%. Uh, obviously not great, but let's kind of look deeper into that in the, uh, his time from 2014-15 uh, season to the uh, end of the 2015-16 uh, season ended up being his final coaching job in the NBA. Uh, went 33 and 49, his uh, for only full season. 11 and 19 the season before that when he took over, being actually the third coach, <laughs> the coach the Kings that season. So let me just kind of start with that. 
as I get into, excuse me, it's been a bad allergy day too as well. So as I explain why George Carl was never, didn't work, was never going to work in Sacramento. Now this goes back to actually December of 2014, why this was never going to work. As we all know, December 2014, uh, the Kings are off to a better than expected start. DeMarcus Cousins is playing great. Then he gets sick. The Kings stumble. The Kings fire Michael Malone. And I'll say this. At that point, it didn't matter who the Kings hired at that point. You had an angry locker room. You had angry players. You had confused people in the organization wondering what Malone did to get fired. So, it, it didn't really matter who you brought in at that point. It was There needed to be some basically some healing to get that thing to work. And there was really no time for that. And if you recall, the Kings fired Malone, promote Tyrone Corbin to a head coach, then give him a new deal to make him the full-time coach. But then by the All-Star break, what happens? You're, prior to then, you're hearing the rumblings that the king they're reaching out and talking to George Carl about bringing him in. Here's where the uh, uh, here's where that became problematic with the team. Remember, Michael Malone was immensely popular with these players. So, the fact that George's name was prominently mentioned even before it really really picked up, you know, but the fact that that name was out there from an optics perspective it looked like George was basically in cahoots with Malone. To a lot of people in that locker room. Not in cahoots with Malone, but in cahoots with, with, the, uh, with the Kings ownership. Uh, also with the, the GM at that time, Pete D'Alessandro. It looked like they were all in cahoots to get George in there. And that created a very palpable level of tension between players and whoever they were going to hire. <laughs> it didn't matter. So basically, when when Corbin gets promoted, Corbin inherits a bunch of guys who don't want to play for him. And then eventually replaced by George. And I think there was a lack of trust from the get-go. And I think that was evident uh, in the court over those 100-plus games that George had. And what were some? And we'll get into what were some of the issues the players and whatnot had with uh, George. Let me go by saying this: I didn't know George Carl really at all before he was hired, but I was told basically he's a great talker. And as someone told me, your notebook will never be empty. George will always give you something, have something to say. You'll always have something to write. Uh, that's great for me, and. That worked well with maybe some more old school, an old school generation of the NBA. This generation of players did not like that at all. Did not like George talking so much. And if you re- you may recall at the end of his first 30 games, George made a comment that no player is untradeable. Which was taken and received as a shot at DeMarcus Cousins. Basically saying that we can move anyone. Because we all have known that. George isn't exactly, you, you know, how do I just put this? He's not exactly enamored with big men in the NBA. You know, he was playing small ball. You know, you know, he and probably Don Nelson back in the 80s, they were fans of small ball, or the style before most of the league was. 
And that created a confusion as well because why would a team whose best player was a center hire a coach who hadn't necessarily had a love for, for post players? But that type of comment there and some of the things George would say to the media kind of trickled into the locker room and the players honestly just didn't like it. And I think part of it was they weren't fans of George in the first, some of them weren't fans of George in the first place. And then you're getting these comments in the media like that. It just didn't fly well in the locker room. And people, you know, uh, if you, certain people are certain narratives or that basically this was all a DeMarcus Cousins thing. It wasn't just DeMarcus. I can tell you from being in that locker room, talking to those guys, a lot of people did not like George for, you know, for their own reasons. Like I said, part of that was that candor that, you know, which I said was great, for, great copy. If you're a writer, great audio, great sound, great video. If you're, you know, digital, you know, if you're a video, radio, you know, audio person, not always great for your locker room. There was also a feeling that George's approach was just way too laid back. And I attribute part of it to the fact that he coached the team sometimes like they were already good and they just weren't ready to be given that level of responsibility or freedom, should I say. You know, George would have optional shoot arounds. And you could argue that a team with, the, you know, with their record, especially they started off really bad that season. You know, they had the incident where, you know, well, I'll go to that later. You know, but they, you know, they're under 500 most of the year. Why would practice ever be optional? You know, from George's point of view, you're letting grown men, you know, do what they need to do. Uh, some of the guys didn't like that, and that would come to a head later in the season. But, yeah, there was just a feeling that George wasn't, you know, George wasn't, wasn't you know, wasn't the guy to, you know, he just wasn't the guy. You know, he just wasn't the guy to reach out to them and connect with them in the right way. That was just the feeling in there. So you add all that, and then you have to add this factor. The players knew that the front office didn't necessarily have George's back. So let's back up to how that got there. Pete D'Alessandro was the GM who hired George. And it should be to be fair to Pete, it wasn't as if Pete completely went out there and said, I'm going to hire George in the middle of the season. This was a decision pushed from ownership, and it was Pete's job to make it happen, and he made it happen. I know a lot of people in the Kings world just love the uh, the storyline that it was just all everything was all Pete's fault. It wasn't all Pete's fault, especially in this situation. Uh, Pete would, uh, you know, from what I know, would have liked to have done an actual coaching search in the off season, but there was a feeling from ownership and Vivek that if you didn't, if you remember uh, at that time, the uh, the only other job that was probably going to be open for sure was Orlando. And Orlando wasn't going to hire George during the season. But there was like some, it was put out there that if the uh, if the Kings didn't hire George when they did, that Orlando was going to sign him during that season too. Of course that wasn't going to happen. But I'd uh, get back to, <laughs> back to what I was saying about the, the team knowing that the front office didn't have George's back. In the midst of all this weird transition in hiring George, Vlade Divac has brought in you know, who, and he's not supposed to be the GM, 
you know, it's kind of confusing to even what Vlade's job was supposed to be. But he ends up essentially replacing Pete. And so now you've got a GM who did not hire the coach. And as we know in the NBA or any sport, whenever you've got a, a, a GM who did not hire the coach, it's always a, there's, oh, this, the, the possibility is more likely that that GM is going to want to get that guy out and get his own coach at some point. And so the fact that you had that already going on, and remember, Vlade had never done this job before. And so players aren't, aren't dumb. They realize that, you know, maybe at some point there's probably going to be some tension right there. And the tension actually began before the 2015-16 season. You know, George wanted input on the draft and roster. He wasn't given that type of input. Instead, you have Vlade, a first-time GM, who had only been on the job for a couple of months making these major decisions. You know, he remembers as a team that had DeMarcus Cousins, and they drafted a center in the first round, Willie Cauley-Stein. Uh, free agency signed some guys who, you know, a guy like Rajon Rondo, who ended up leading the league in assists that year with George, but may not have been the prototypical George Carl point guard at that stage. So there was definitely a disconnect, and that disconnect became obvious when early in the year, after a particularly bad loss, DeMarcus went got into it with George in the locker room, and George wanted to suspend uh, DeMarcus. What happened? Vlade said no. At that point, as they say, sometimes you just cut the guy's balls off, and the, the guy being George. That From that point on, the players knew that really George had no power in that organization. DeMarcus would get suspended later in the season for something with George, but by then it didn't matter. The season was over. Who cared? So you have, like I said, you have a group that knows that that it doesn't matter <laughs> because they know that there's going, you know, that George and Vlade aren't necessarily on the same page, and that came across later in the season when word got out that George was going to get fired. This was after a game in Cleveland where Kings were terrible. They got they got they got the shit beat out of them. At this point, you know, this is like the this is the year that the, the Cavs are going to go on and win a title. But yeah, it was a bad, it was a terrible, bad loss. And it was an interesting night for me because that was a night where DeMarcus and Rondo didn't want to talk to anyone in the media. Well, except me. I, I'm the only person who spoke to DeMarcus. And Rondo then summoned me over and basically laid into George. You know, about, you know, the optional shoot-arounds and how do you do that when you have this record, blah, 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 blah. It looked like George was gone, for sure. And then by the next day, I mean, let me back that up again. It, it didn't, uh, there were people being told that George was getting fired and he'd be replaced by Corliss Williamson. Instead, that didn't happen. They kept George and the way the players played the rest of the season... It was obvious that they would rather miss the playoffs. Mind you, when the whole Georgia's going to get fired thing happened, they were one and a half games out of the eighth spot in the West. They had a chance with plenty of time left. And it was almost like the guy said, we'd rather lose than play for this guy in a playoff series. And then the disconnect continues as you get later in the season. The Kings are in tank mode to keep their draft pick. And in our last road trip of the season, it's a two-gamer, Denver-Houston. And the front of Lotte and the crew tell, DeMar you know, some of the, the key guys like DeMarcus and Rudy, you know, whatever that, and Rondo, they're not going on the trip. 
and it gets back to me basically what the story is told to me is that they didn't even tell George they he what those guys weren't going. So clearly you knew George was gone because that's a basic thing that's discussed as an organization. You don't make those decisions without your coach. Because the Kings had to stay within a certain range to keep their pick or it went to uh, Cleveland as part of the uh, the J.J. Hickson, Omri Caspi trade. How about that? And so all those factors played into how the Kings had a Hall of Fame coach or a coach who's now a Hall of Fame coach and still missed the playoffs. And what it comes down to is I think one thing even Vlade would probably tell you now, for the Kings to make the playoffs that year, he should have fired George and let Corliss finish the year out. They probably, they, they probably would have made the playoffs, I think. But, hey, it didn't happen. Now you've got the longest playoff drought in NBA history. It's not official yet. They're not officially out the play-in race. But I'm going to go ahead and say they're not going <laughs> to They're not gonna do it. They've won three or four, which is probably, you know, which is driving probably the fans mad because that's taking them out of the draft position they want to be in. But... Yeah, it is what it is. So, that's my time and story on George Carl. But before I move on to talk a little bit about music, I'm not going to have a whole lot of music talk today. You know, just because I'm still not 100%. But I wanted to give you a message uh, from our good friends at DraftKings. Just so you know, college basketball fans. Join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your team's victory into your own big win. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join join the college hoop action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like who will make it to the next round or who will hit the most three-pointers and track your results. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any college hoops team to win and you get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with the promo code TBPN. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 and older. Restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So, now we'll get back to the show, and my music thing for this week is pretty quick. Uh, I'm normally all about my hip-hop, but I recently uh, he, uh, went, to the, uh, went to a cool concert, uh, went to the, the Culture Tour. The Culture Tour, in case you don't know, is... Uh, Joe to see Charlie Wilson in New Edition. And how do they tie into my usual hip-hop chat? Uh, gave me a chance to hear Bobby Brown. And Bobby Brown is, was, was a... If you even look back to the mid-80s, he was one of the, one of those uh, first R&B guys who would incorporate some rap into his songs. And so there's my little link to hip-hop, but... <laughs> If you want to get uh, one of the, the songs where I thought Bobby was kind of better at that was he has a song On Our Own from the Ghostbusters uh, 2 soundtrack where there's a version with him not rapping and a version with him rapping. So but, uh, that whole New Jack Swing era 
was uh, of R&B was definitely heavily influenced by R&B and if you listen to Bobby's uh uh 1988 solo album the second one Don't Be Cruel which I believe is one of the I I put that top 10 maybe higher uh R&B albums of all time there's definitely a heavily influence heavy influence of hip hop in there so for those who are wondering and need some help if you need some homework your homework is to go listen to Don't Be Cruel Again. Listen to the stuff that Teddy Riley was doing back then. And get a feel for how hip-hop influenced R&B. And then if you want, uh, check out the uh, the next album from Bobby after that. No, titled Bobby. You know, another heavily hip-hop R&B fused album. And Bobby had a hell of a run back then. And... People make fun of Bobby on stage. Bobby's a little older, a little heavier, ain't moving like he used to back in the day, but I don't care. I think I'm big Bobby Brown fan. We'll check him out in concert anytime. And yeah, if you get a chance, you definitely want to do that. So I'm going to go off and get me some allergy medicine. Thanks for listening, y'all. You know where to find me on, on IG at Mr. Jones LBC. On Twitter at Mr. Underscore Jason Jones. I am Jason Jones. This is the Ruler of the Court podcast. Thank you to the people at the Basketball Podcast Network. Shout out to the folks at DraftKings. Shout out to all of you listening. All right, y'all. Y'all take it easy out there. Catch you next time. I'm out.